Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, BladeDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Saturday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Paul. And this week, we're discussing another psychological horror title from developer Bloober Team, that being 2021's The Medium. Set in 1999, post-communist Poland, The Medium puts the player in the role of Marianne, a psychic medium who uses her abilities, that being traversing a spirit realm, to help restless souls move on to the next life, and more importantly for the player, this will be used to solve a variety of supernatural puzzles. But when Marianne is contacted by a mysterious man who knows of her abilities and more troubling, has knowledge of a recurring nightmare she has, Marianne sets off to meet this mystery man at an abandoned hotel. The medium is currently available on Xbox Game Pass, but it's been recently announced it'll be coming to PlayStation 5 in September of this year. And as Neil and I will be heavily discussing story spoilers, we wanted to give a content warning as a portion of our discussion revolves around a plot point within the medium that involves sexual violence towards a child. There will also be another content warning just before that portion of our conversation within the episode itself. So Neil, a few weeks back we chatted about Bloober Team's other psychological horror title, uh, Layers of Fear 2, uh, a game that we were not nearly as keen on as the original, but I think we highlighted that we saw some real growth in the company's approach to storytelling within the uh, horror medium. Uh, So in regards to the medium... Did you find it to be another example kind of of their growth in terms of where they've come from since Layers of Fear 1 in 2016? Yeah, I think we sort of alluded to it when we were speaking about Layers of Fear 2 and Bloober in general, but um, when it went on to Blair Witch and then onto the medium, that they're clearly showing more and more. I mean, this specifically, this idea is something they've had for a long time. We're waiting for the technology to be able to do it because you know the big gimmick with medium is you can control dual worlds at once, um, which is difficult to run you know on old hardware. And as a result, it, it is in that sense probably the height of their ambition. Now, for an indie company to do what they did here uh, at the beginning of a console generation, where on a console that really hadn't ha- hasn't yet really had a defining game that shows next-gen capabilities, not just in like visual horsepower, but in terms of tricks and you know, smart things that you can't really achieve on older hardware. Now, you know, it's showing again you know, that it's no longer going to be that game for, that, for Xbox Series X and S because it's going to PlayStation as well. But, you know, at a time where, you know, PS5, you had the... You know the gimmicks of how fast everything was to load and how these little things you can dive into a specific part of the game and little help hints and just the way that games were being more seamlessly designed to transition between areas because of the faster loading times and then the controller itself you know you had so much going on there with ps5 where you were thinking yeah this really does feel like a next-gen experience you know the the game bundled with every ps5 astro's playroom is just a remarkable achievement in terms of showing you everything that console can do at inception. Xbox Series X and S is just basically, you know, Windows 10 to 11, if you will, of, con- of Microsoft consoles. It is just same operating system, but slightly different, better, more powerful, does this, that, and the other different. It's good for a lot of reasons, but in terms of having that, you know, much like last generation, Microsoft have lacking in, in having something that really stands out as theirs and 
So in this case, it was really refreshing to see an indie developer step up and provide this with this really smart dual world system. And I think that gets lost a lot in talk about the game because most talk ends up being about the Silent Hill comparisons, you know, which are unfortunately very notable because of a lot of reasons we've said, you know, the composer, the viewpoints and the dual worlds. But yeah, I think that that is so much less... To to think of it as a gimmick is would be a horrible thing to say because it's not. It's well implemented. (laughs) They've clearly thought about the use of this dual world system. And yeah, for better or worse, it's the whole game is the culmination of everything they've worked from to from from that failure of their earlier games to the basement crawl to going through layers of fear. It this is it. This is them having the confidence to try something big and bold and brash and it some it works most of the time you know i think that it has its moments but this more than ever um the moments are more of a narrative problem than they are of the game itself which you know considering it's still quite blueberesque in terms of design and you know it shares you know some of the same structure that even layers of fear 2 had you know, and inherently would then have the same issues, you would think. But I don't know. You, again, you see where it's done better this time in terms of handling those. Yeah, I think that it's really telling about Bloober Team's sort of love of horror that, and their at in terms of like their ethos as a developer, that imagine if they had tried to release this two generations ago and the tech couldn't support it and they were just like, well, this is our idea, we're going to go through it. And then we would have forgotten about this game by now probably because it would not have been able to run that way. And I think that in the long run, when you have a new generation of games, for me at least, I always look for the ones that really utilize the new tech from a gameplay perspective and not from a graphical perspective, because that's one of those things where you can always kind of just see this thing that's presented as a diamond. But then when you kind of like start to look at it a lot closer later in a generation, you start to see a lot of the sort of flaws in it and whatnot, which more often than not, when something is sold on being this graphical fidelity powerhouse it's like well how long are you going to be able to say that before it's outdone in that and then it's inevitably forgotten about because it doesn't have the gameplay or the mechanics to back it up Um, and i think also like yeah you can't mention the medium without bringing up silent hill but it's a very sort of surface level uh comparison Mm -hmm. right because i think that from that standard from look afar it's like yeah okay there's a dual world and all this but we've never been able to explore the sort of dual world idea simultaneously. And that's an element that I think is really interesting about this game. And it's when you talk about the gameplay, it's the element that will make this game memorable. I feel for like years onwards, again, we'll get into some of the uh, narrative shortcomings and whatnot. And there are a couple of elements to this that are very sort of reminiscent of uh, bloober teams. I hesitate to call them, blunders but maybe there are elements that they still can better refine and whatnot but i think that it's very impressive for a studio to have a very innovative idea and yet they sit on it for almost a decade and they're like well we're going to wait for the right moment to actually bring this idea to fruition and it's telling that like we talked about early on in bloober team's career they had a lot of sort of failures and yet they had this sort of idea that would end up being one of their richest ideas i think up until now and they've been on this run of psychological horror titles that really kind of 
have been more first-person focused, and I found it very refreshing to see them grow with this idea over the course of the years and clearly learn, not in all instances, but they did learn definitely over the course of Layers of Fear 1 and 2, Observer, Blair Witch, and then they're able to present that idea in a way that feels classical to psychological horror games, right? This sort of third-person, dynamic, fixed-camera perspectives and whatnot. From a gameplay point of view... It's a lot of it is kind of like the type of puzzles that you would expect trying to access certain areas using a supernatural ability to either influence one environment over the other and then sort of finding items that are hidden cleverly in the uh, environments. And yet it all comes together in a narrative that while it's not without its uh, faults, which we'll definitely get into, it presents it in a way that it feels very true to sort of the roots of psychological horror in a way that I find very refreshing based off of coming off of layers of fear too and whatnot and kind of being a little oversaturated with the first person perspective horror. And so to see them kind of take a step back to something more familiar and classical and still make it memorable in a way that felt fresh and new, I was really appreciative of. Yeah. And to to think that the change in perspective when it really came about by accident in a way, because they had to, because it wasn't working as a first person game. it's well documented in playtesting that you know people couldn't concentrate onto first-person viewpoints, and I, I can highly see why. And yeah, so it ends up being more like even more like that Silent Hill type thing that we were saying. And this is why that was a lot of the general hype early on was like, okay, you know, maybe they are trying to do their own. You know, I mean, someone's got to. Let's be honest. So <laughs> at this point, <laughs> if they're going to keep denying the existence of anyone else making one you know let's uh, have someone have a crack even if it is different and the other thing that really strikes me in terms of a through line that you can see that it's good that they did all these other games beforehand sort of set them on the right road one that comes to me straight away is Observer which is the only game which they've made that really trades on their native roots in Poland, you know, where before now, and you know, it, it. I haven't been to Poland and seen how those apartment buildings are and the structure of them. It's very interesting how you know they sort of futurize that while trying to make all these bleak, depressing buildings look very fancy by having all the, this holographic imagery around it to sort of disguise how badly they were crumbling, and like. This has, you know, this whole post-communism Poland is an interesting point. They said, I think, that Chernobyl and how that that show was showing things in Soviet Russia at the time um, was a big influence in that, that where they went with this game. And I think it does have a lot of that to it in terms of just sort of trying to show the country as is, having, you know, Americanized actors, you know, doing either accents or just forgetting the accents entirely to make it you know, for a reason is to make a deeper story more accessible whilst trying to tell a bit of history in the background you know admittedly not much history you know the, the, it's very much the backdrop of, of this story and um, you know it's but it is nice to have this sort of European feel which you know always reminds me of Dolce or Argento style stuff where it has a little of that dream-like swimmy quality at times and you know, it evokes stuff like the beyond in a way in terms of just like this whole other dimension thing and 
weird goings on, but with that sort of Blubertine touch to it. Yeah. Definitely. And I think that that really comes across in just sort of the atmosphere in general that they've crafted with this entire game and how it, again, it is a, the more I played of it, it felt familiar, but it felt familiar in the right way in terms of kind of tapping into something that an aesthetic that I'm a fan of again, which is kind of like that uh, post-Soviet block, seeing the remnants of a society that has moved on. And yet the architectural structure of that is still very much there, even if it has become dilapidated and uh, fallen apart and all of these things. And yet it does present itself in a way that the material world, I guess we'll call the, the, our world or the real world, like the material world that begins to feel foreign in a way that I really like, because then it starts to kind of blend together the two worlds almost in a way where you're playing this person that by her own admission does not feel at home in either world, right? Mm -hmm. She's occupying this awkward space between the two, the spirit world and the material world. And the worlds themselves and the presentation of that really come to blend into one for me in a way that it made me not mind exploring another sort of just dilapidated uh, concrete block that I've probably explored in countless other sort of Eastern European uh, games. But the ways in which it so effortlessly kind of allows you to explore an alternate version of that being in the spirit world and making that interesting in a way that I felt it didn't feel gimmicky. Like we'll call it a gimmick because that's kind of like what you could put on the back of the box yeah. kind of thing. But I feel that they really reinvent these environments in an interesting way that makes it as visually engaging as it does just in terms of evoking the player's kind of desire to further explore it in a way that with the exception of something like Observer, I was kind of growing a little tired of in terms of like layers of fear. And I've only played the first hour or two of Blair Witch, but just in terms of moving away from what I expected Bloober Team to sort of fall back on again, yeah. I found that this was a much more sort of cre- in not only a creative environment, but also just an environment that wants you or encourages you to explore it in a way that feels reminiscent of certain experiences and films and things and games that we've ex- all experienced, but at the same time, applying the sort of puzzle focus and really enriching cinematics in a way that I like, right? Because... Yeah. There are certain things, obviously, that can coexist that are existing in the spirit realm and then the material realm. So there's not a lot of crossover, though. So, like in one scene when Marianne is exploring the hotel and the resort, there's a character that she meets called Sadness, which is this ghost, and the ghost is holding a ball in one of the worlds, and it's the spirit world, but she doesn't exist in the material world. So. When you're seeing that cutscene play out, you just see a ball levitating in the material world. And I love that contrast. And that's something that they play with more so in the cinematics. But it also comes across in some of the gameplay moments, which I'm sure we'll detail. Yeah, it's um, really effective when it's done like that. The cutscenes do seem to go out their way to depict how different they are done. I mean, the technical side of that is fascinating. You know, I think Digital Foundry did a very good thing on just how that works, and it's not quite what you expect. Um, it's different. It's handled differently to say um, world switching um, that you had in stuff like uh, uh, Dishonored Two or uh, Titanfall Two in, in their campaigns, where they had this sort of timeline switching. It, this is uh, very much, you know, it's there. Uh, hence why it doesn't run at like uh, the highest fidelity and uh, it, because it, they, yeah, it's so sensitive on the system. 
which you know it does for the odd technical hiccup you know it is a bit janky if you will by um its standards um but it there's something about it that uh brings to mind a plague tale just in terms of a development sort of really making a visual jump yeah in terms of presentation how most of it looks is you know, superb i think the uh, is it a uh, i want to say it right yes Beksinski, the artist his art for the uh, spirit world is just makes that really stand out because you know we've seen so many like the silent hill approximate hell worlds if you will and this is very much its most unique point in that they've had it designed especially by an artist whose work does have that you know and it really does enrich that that world to have this whole thing of its own and i think that sort of really does push it in terms of how it looks visually and uh which as i said unfortunately means when it does go wrong here and there it kind of stands out a bit more which is always the case I think when you're an independent developer who's um, mm. trying to sort of shoot high you know you are going to have those failings and they're going to be a bit more noticeable because you don't have a team of 300 or something to sort of <laughs> iron out the kinks right. of even you know, so but yeah it, it's it's a very impressive achievement in technical sense yeah and in terms of just the duality of those worlds it's one of the instances where, like, again, I would hesitate to call it a gimmick when you get down to actually playing the game because the duality of the two worlds really is the perfect metaphor for the duality of our character and the world that she is in, her being the material world, in that the world is this kind of like trans, her world is transitioning from like a communist government to a democratic yeah. one. And I really love how that blends into it in a way that doesn't feel contrived. Yeah. Like you mentioned in Titanfall 2, arguably that level where it's jumping between uh, timelines is fantastic. That's like one of the highlights of the game, one of my favorite levels ever. But that feels kind of gimmicky because it's not reflective of the rest of the game and whatnot. It never comes up again, right? It's very much this spectacle chapter in a game that is fantastic by all accounts and whatnot. And that moment is a highlight of that. But this feels very more organic, both in the way that it is implemented from a gameplay perspective, but also in just a narrative and a world building perspective mm. in a way that I really, really like. And I would even say that I think it handles it better than Silent Hill does in some regards, because I think, again, it's more intricate to the ethos of the game and the world and the identity of that. And I think, obviously, the visiting the hell worlds has always been a part of Silent Hill, but kind of the there's a little bit of a disconnect for me always when you're jumping back and forth in between and these are two separate experiences that are blended into one whereas with the medium it feels like one continuous journey that i guess if we're talking pacing it always feels like you are moving in a forward motion rather than oh this is the section i have to go here and then i have to go back yeah i just i find that there's such a lack of the sort of just jarringness of jumping between worlds and there are brief moments, right? We'll get into it where we're talking about Marianne's powers, that she can have these kind of out-of-body experiences where her material body, uh, in, her body in the material world goes into this state where she kind of just goes into a trance and stands there. Yeah. And then she has free reign to run around the spirit world, often um, to solve puzzles and whatnot, that her material world body cannot progress because something in her world is blocking a doorway yeah. or an entryway, which... 
tends to be sort of an over-reliance on that one mechanic because that keeps kind of being a recurring thing over and over throughout the course of the game, but it just kind of shows that the game, for the most part, I feel, you're always moving and you're never really taken out of it, like, oh, shit, I have to go to this world and then go back to this world. Like, it just feels like a continuous motion forwards, which I appreciate for the type of experience it is, and I think that if there had been a lot of this sort of, like, okay, now you're in this world for a section, then this, like, jumping back and forth a lot... It might have made this feel like a more drawn out experience, which I don't I think this game is like the perfect length. If it had been just a few hours longer, I don't know. I think that jank that we've talked about and sort of some of the shortcomings that we'll get into might be a little more glaring in the long run when thinking about um, the medium. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. It would have um, definitely damaged it further in certain ways for sure. And especially because I think that. It kind of, it, I think it does come towards the end of the game where you have more gripes and issues that sort of rear their head and you're like, mm, yeah, and to draw that out would have really just pushed it beyond being, you know, it, it would be less than tolerable, I think. But yeah, it it does just hit the right, the sweet spot in terms of, you know, you get to a point, you're like, well, it seems like we're coming to the end, so we'll see how it goes. And yeah, it ends in very satisfactory why not and one thing that I really take away from the medium that I think again coming back to like Bloober Team's growth is just how the game opens Mm. and I love the opening of this game because of how subdued it is compared to what we might expect based on kind of our experience with their past games right their past games were to varying degrees more sort of jump scare and traditional scare heavy I would say whereas this game opens with a very subdued opening in that you're laying to rest your uh, adoptive father, essentially, and yeah, so you're going through Marianne's, yeah, and you're going through Marianne's apartment, and you're trying to hunt down sort of like a tie clip for him or something, and it's basically serving as these are the mechanics of the game, and they are not going to evolve much more past this, and it's sort of introducing us to this world, her history, Jack's history, and then sort of her powers and whatnot, and I really like that because it sort of resets, at least for people that have played like Bloober Team's past games, it resets their expectations for the type of experience we're getting. This isn't a game that I think is much more concerned with tapping into grief and sort of the rippling effects of that and trauma and history that characters have with one another, with the world and whatnot, versus kind of like expecting that, oh, there's going to be lots of things that jump out at you in this demon world, or there are going to be more I hesitate to say combat focus, but just sort of more uh, in line with those types of survival horror moments mm. that people might expect from something like this that is rooted in psychological horror that has a sort of classical horror look to it in terms of, again, that third person fixed camera perspective. But I think that it's smart that they take things slow and it ramps up and it it makes for a game that I find in terms of just the experience overall, it, se- it feels richer in a way that I was not expecting because with something like the Blair Witch or Layers of Fear I remember those games more for their brief sort of moments of exhilarating terror Mm. in a way that I don't know if I ever go back and replay those if it'll ever hit the same way Mm. because you know the initial fear and just memory and remembering uh, will kind of like maybe have those moments dissipate their overall impact but something like the medium not that I'm necessarily racing to replay it I feel that I would be more inclined to want to replay it to sort of 
revisit these characters and their sort of arcs and whatnot and sort of just their overall growth or lack of growth for some characters. Yeah. And those types of experiences, I find, stick with me a little bit more in terms of like the longevity of my memories of those rather than these sort of like little moments that kind of like get me to the end of the game. Yeah. Overall, I find that this game is much more rewarding in terms of the overall arc of characters and kind of just their progression towards the end of this narrative and seeing the things that they, the decisions they make based on their history, whether they're able to overcome certain traumas and things like that. It just makes for a much richer experience, in my opinion. Yeah. And going to what you were saying initially about that opening, it's a very important point to make with that game, I think, early on, is to show you that this isn't going to be that kind of game that, that even their own marketing kind of did push it towards being very much like a survival horror game. But knowing Bluebird, it did feel like they were going to sort of stick to their guns a bit and go with the, no, we're telling you a story. We want you to experience the story um, as best we can without us impeding you in any way. And, it, you know, for the most part, again, it, they do that really well. It's paced in a way that they're never lying to you about what kind of experience you're getting in that in that regard. And yeah, it's got a more dramatic focus, if you will, uh, to it than previous games where they are trying to sort of get you connected to the characters and their stories far more than they ever have. You know, um, it doesn't have the ambiguity of, say, Layers of Fear 2 or, or, you know, it doesn't go straight out gonzo like... Uh, Layers of the original Layers of Beer or Observer, and it feels a bit more cohesive in the way they planned out. And in that sense, you can tell this is something they have had in mind for a long time because so much of it feels solid in that regard. But it feels like they had a plan for every aspect of the structure of this world and when they would do this, this, and this. And then a few ideas came in fairly afterwards in terms of how it will be presented you know, like I said stuff like Chernobyl turned out to sort of inspire them to tell it a certain way and to have a certain visual viewpoint to it but yeah I think if you could say anything about this game in, in terms of where it lies positively is that it is their most cohesive title you know it's one that knows the story it wants to tell goes with it for better and for worse and yeah, by the end of it, it's like, okay, sure, maybe I didn't agree with all of it, but I appreciate what they've done. Absolutely, yeah. And I guess I'm curious kind of how you found the main environment that the game takes place in being the uh, the Niwa Hotel, mm. right? Is this kind of this resort that is closed by the government because there's this massacre that occurred there that is kind of shrouded in mystery. We just know that a lot of people have died. And then a big part of the game is... I mean, with any sort of uh, inv game that focuses on environmental storytelling is you can kind of find different notes and letters and you start to piece together little bits yeah. of the uh, events that occurred there before you arrived. And I mean, that's an element that I'm always a sucker for, right? I love finding like little notes and postcards and things and kind of digging into the roots of this world in a way that make it come to life in a way that, sure, if you played this game and you skipped over a lot of those things, you're only getting a fraction and a small fraction of that, sure. I think, of the overall sort of experience. But even if you don't hunt down every single thing, like you're still going to feel that cohesion that you mentioned, um, which I definitely agree with. But with a game like this, I really appreciated um, that approach. And I'm curious, how did you find sort of just exploring 
the Niwa Hotel, which I almost literally just called the Overlook because <laughs> <laughs> it kind of channels that in a big way uh, in terms of being this very dilapidated, haunted uh, hotel and sort of you're f- sort of uncovering the events that occurred with this resort manager, Thomas, and his daughter, Lillianne, and that we learned that there was another man there named Richard. But how did you, before we get into the story portion of that, how did you find overall just exploring the hotel? So, yeah, it's, you know, I kind of want to keep this so that we sort of brought up the environment. Um, I'm a sucker for the haunted hotel stories. I think when we were discussing Dr. Sleep on Daily Horror Habit, one of our podcasts, it was um, a thing that sort of, like I said it connected me with that whole The Shining thing. I, I found it really fascinating having you know done night portering work in hotels and stuff like that where it's just so eerie you know especially in off season and you have this you know it can seem so haunted and seem like there's so much that you don't know about it and so I find that always find that fascinating in game form when you go into places like that or film form and yeah having it here in this sort of Easter block style environment and yeah, I, I really liked that. Uh, I think, just like I said, because of the design of buildings and the brutalist style of a lot of buildings there, um, I was really captivated by sort of the way that was presented. And it, it, again, like I was saying before, Observer, they do a good job at representing their country in that regard. And in the terms of how it, you know, they're not sugarcoating how it is and how it can be. And as I said, a lot of that is just in, due to the change in, in, front, in that transition we were mentioning. And yeah, so it's learning more and more about it uh, as you go on and these little mysteries is just, it's a delicious thing because you get so invested in, in these little tidbits about it. And I, I say that of any game, it's like it takes place generally in a singular environment. Finding out the history of it is the best part because, you know, when you're an open world thing, you, your history gets a bit general. You know, you, you end up being like, oh, well, this bit happened over here and this bit happened over there and like that. that. When I think of um, single locations of places, I think you know, Resident Evil, the original Resident Evil, Spencer Mansion is an endlessly fascinating thing with the whole weird history you can dig out of that. Uh, Praise uh, Talos 1 is another one where I just, I love that environment so much because it just tells such a story in itself and you can get as little or as much of it as you want and so yeah when you get places like that especially in the horror genre and it's it feels very close to what you get in terms of real life when people go to like famous haunted sites you know and you want to kind of visit for yourself so you can sort of soak in all this history and you know in, in real world terms, most of it is just quite explainable, and but you know, there's this still this just this bit of you that feels if you go there, you might feel something, you know, that is uh, very much ingrained in it. And yeah, I, I had a bit of that with this for sure. It was uh, definitely a, a key reason why I ended up liking it a lot more than maybe I would have based on the story. The one thing that really made this a much richer environment than I was anticipating because. On paper, it's like, yeah, you're visiting another sort of dilapidated building. This time, it tends to be a hotel, right? Yeah. I mean, how many how many dilapidated buildings have we explored in video games, right? Yeah. Or seen in film and whatnot. But to their credit, they made both realms of this singular location engaging in a way that I really enjoyed. Mm. 
again, they, and I think a part of that is sort of the, uh, again, the Soviet architecture that is standing still that's representative of a period in Poland's history that has moved on from, and yet this relic is still here. And while it's dilapidated and chained up, it's still standing and it's standing the test of time. And it stands enough so that there is this history there. And again, you're piecing together what happened there, but also little things like learning about the different types of, because um, it's like a va- it's billed as being a vacation resort. And you're kind of learning the types of people that showed up there, the types of events they had, yeah. things like that, that are completely inconsequential to the overall story and narrative and the characters even. And yet the 90 seconds I spent reading about some artist or musician that stayed there, it gives it a certain sense of a life that it's not just this abandoned building anymore. No. This was a place where people lived at a certain period in time. And I applaud them for being able to make the material realm as interesting in terms of the narrative as the spirit realm is visually. Yeah. Like the spirit realm is visually stimulating. But at the end of the day, we still don't really know a lot about it other than, yeah, it's like a demon hell world um, for a rather reductive sort of description of it. But the hotel in the material world, this is a place that feels like it had a life before this. And now it is shrouded in this mysterious event that occurred before we arrived. And I just applaud them for not making one of the worlds so heavily outweigh the other in terms of like my interest in it at least. And yeah, that's anecdotal. But I think that it would have been very easy for them to say, hey, we're going to put all our eggs into the basket of the spirit world. And then the the material world, all of a sudden, 50% of the perspective that you have is just like, yeah, okay, whatever. This is kind of just boring. I would rather almost, it would almost not justify the decision to have the split perspective outside of the puzzle solving and things like that, which that leads me to my next question. How do we find that Bluebird team takes Marianne's powers and being able to explore both worlds and also use this kind of like aura seeker that highlights different items in the environment? How do we feel that they blend that power into the puzzle portion of the game? Yeah, I think, it, again, it, it's something that works because they've kept it fairly simple. You know, it, it follows a lot of standard rules in terms of puzzle solving in their games and other similar games. And but obviously they package it as being her powers. And again, it comes back to that coherency with the whole package where it feels like a natural part of that world a bit more. It, yeah, okay, we know her powers can do this, this, and this. It's not a jump to say that she can do this and get hit and make that happen because of uh, her connection to the spirit world. Um, yeah, I don't think it really goes often beyond the, you know, the, oh, you sort of nod your head and go, yeah, that's good, that sort of thing. But yeah, I think it, it does the job it's supposed to do in keeping the uh, pace up. The right of the game, you know, and making sure you aren't just stuck wandering around on one bit for ages and ages. Uh, you know, which is always the challenge, you know, with, when you have puzzles and games and you want it to be story focused, is that you need to find the right balance. You can't really have super intense puzzles and tell a story unless you're telling it in a very specific way. Um, I think of something like The Witness, for instance, where, you know, puzzles are the point the whole way through and, you know, it all interconnects. But, you know, that is very much the out there. I, I find in there maybe Portal 2, you know, if, you, if you're really going for it, but even then, it can tell its story outside those puzzles in all ways. But yeah, for the general developer, this is probably the smart way to go. 
you know, you, you don't over overtax anyone. You, you link it well enough into your world and your mechanics. And I think, yeah, that's exactly what it does. But again, probably better than some of the puzzling they've had in the past. But yeah, that's not too hard to do, I suppose, in terms of what Blue have done in the past. It just, I think. If you had sort of like the hype, them doing inventive things, it was an observer. Uh, whereas this feels a bit more stripped down, more you know streamlined to because it's more narr- they're trying to tell the overall narrative otherwise, and they need it to be like it is. Yeah, I think I I definitely agree with that. It, in terms of puzzle complexity, I was kind of like, well, this is very very sort of just to the point, right? Mm. You, don't, you don't have to think about anything for far too long or any really period of time. You kind of just immediately know what you have to do or you can begin to predict what you will, you will have to do. Yeah. And there are a couple of outliers, I'll say, right? There's this moment early on where you find this clock and then when you interact with the clock in the material world, you can see that in the spirit world, it allows you to access a different period of time yeah. and it kind of like opens up a door which then allows you to move through and then you can kind of progress. Little moments like that or... There's another moment where there's a dollhouse and you have this toy mirror and then you can place it in different rooms in the dollhouse and then you're allowed to actually travel there to solve these other sort of more simplistic puzzles. But outside of those, it is very to the point. And if you're looking for puzzle, like a puzzle game that really challenges you, this won't be it. And yet, to your point, the puzzles in this game are in service of the narrative. It never allows you to get too bogged down that it's detracting from what feels like the true purpose of this game, yeah. right? It's kind of this culmination of Bluebird team wanting to tell a more cohesive, direct narrative where there's no real interpretation up until uh, the very end of the game or ambigu- uh, ambiguity and whatnot. And yet it never really gets in the way of the drive of the game. And again, something I mentioned earlier, like if the drive ever really slowed down, especially towards the end of the game, I find that if my experience, my experience would have been drawn out by that and I don't think I would have had as positive things to say had my experience mm. been dragged out. Whether, like if I hit a puzzle that took me 20 minutes or 30 minutes to solve, that would have been like a huge detriment to the narrative, which is the true drive of the game yeah. and whatnot. And kind of getting to that next story beat was definitely my incentive to keep playing the game and pushing through to the next thing. It wasn't necessarily like, oh, how are they going to challenge me with a puzzle? Yeah. Um, that being said, though, when you look at the puzzles, there's only ever, with the exception of the two that I mentioned, there's only ever like two or three different types of puzzles, right? Yeah, Which is, is you have to find a little spirit. It's like a spirit shrine that gives you an energy and then you can use like a energy blast to power a generator or um, there's like these moths that will kill you in the spirit realm and you have to like get energy to use your shield to progress through them. It's very sort of just rudimentary. And by the end of the game, again, I think it took me six and a half or seven hours to play the game. By the end of the game, I was like, yeah, I would have liked at least one additional type of puzzle structure that they could fall back on. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, when the credits rolled, I was like, I think this was just the perfect amount of length in terms of an experience. And who knows, had they introduced another type of puzzle that they, a puzzle style that they would keep falling back on? maybe it would have been more of a sore thumb type of thing where I'm just like, oh, another one of these, really? Do we need another type? Just give me another generator yeah. of power. I think also because the uh, overall pace is quite methodical, you know, and, and it's, mm. um, 
you know, it doesn't really start getting relentless. It's, it's never really too much panic going on. Um, I think it doesn't need to have taxing puzzles in that regard. Because in a game, you know, when we're talking about it, in a game where you are going through intense action or terror and you're having a breather, it's nice to have a puzzle that takes a little time sometimes and has you think a little because it changes things up and it's good for the sort of dovetailing of between you know, terror, calm, terror, calm. Whereas, um, you know, the medium isn't really that kind of game. It is very much the psychological part that is there, you know, and as you said, it is very much a story about grief, first and foremost. And um, yeah, it, it doesn't need to be like that. For people that at this point who who have not played the medium, I guess in kind of distancing it from the idea that this is a survival horror game, the only real obstacles in terms of like a that could yield a death screen would be the moths that I mentioned, which mm-hmm. are in the spirit realm that can kill you, or when you're accessing other people's memories, which are a couple of key points in the game, there's these kind of like weird vine uh, things that pop up that will kill you if you don't use a shield, yeah. time it right. You kind of parry it, and then it kills it instantly, which I could have done without those. I don't really see the point of those, really, other than just having another thing that could potentially slow you down. But anyways, the big threat and antagonist, or one of the antagonists of the game is this creature known as the Maw, hmm. which is this the most sort of Silent Hill-esque, I guess if you want to mention Silent Hill again, this creature that will chase you at periodic times. And what is so troubling about this creature that we think initially only occupies the spirit realm is that it is partially able to traverse both realms, hmm. and it's a threat in both. So periodically throughout the game, Marianne will be in one realm or the other, and then of course you have these instances where it's in both simultaneously. What's troubling is is that when you go to these sections of the game, which you're in the material world, the creature can follow you. But as it's following you into the material world, it doesn't actually manifest. It's almost like it's in, it is invisible. Yeah. And it's more about it following your sound. So you have to start to sort of like worry about sound management and covering your mouth and controlling your breathing and crouching when you walk and things, which triggers some couple of stealth sections, which are a little monotonous. But... What was truly terrifying for me were the sections where, and it builds off of our conversation with Layers of Fear 2, where the Maw will chase you through both realms at different points in the game. But it's the same type of thing like in Layers of Fear 2 where the creature is just nipping at your heels when Mm. you're running, right? In Layers of Fear 2, you're running through the studio set and there's this sort of like ghostly apparatus chasing you. And this is the same thing, except you get a couple instances where the camera perspective shifts and you can see the maw creature, which is this big, almost sort of just like gross, skinless creature chasing after you. And it's taunting you and it keeps calling you like a skin suit and all of these things. And uh, notably, it's voiced by Troy Baker, which I didn't realize until later, but it's probably why it's so uh, so damn scary. But it fuels little moments of terror that I actually found to be refreshing because it didn't overly rely on them. Yeah, We didn't get six or seven of these, which, again, if it was maybe a lesser developer, they would have said, well... We haven't had a big scary moment in a while. Let's move away from the grief and have this sort of more overtly terrifying moment. And I think that just speaks again to their sort of restraint in using those periodically throughout the game to the best of their ability, I think, for as simple as those moments really are. Because when you get down to it, it's you're being chased. Don't stop running, (laughs) which is very simple. But I think it's effectively used or it's tactically used, which makes it fairly effective. 
yeah, as you say, because it's used in such small doses, it, it does feel rather unexpected. And the first time you sort of click onto that, that you're you're not safe wherever you go. When, when the more appears, it's um, genuinely a, a like shit moment, you know, like on the ship, like that. That's a, and it's all the more effective because it's just been building up a certain way that whole time, and then you suddenly now have this real threat all of a sudden and out of nowhere and it, it just flips everything that you come to expect and I think that's quite smart to be honest because again from saying what we were saying before marketing would have you believe it was that kind of game to begin with you play it for a few hours it's not really like that and then the more it's introduced like that out of nowhere and it's like oh geez okay so there is a bit like this and because of the way it's then sort of brought in and out throughout the game um, you never really know when that's going to happen again and I think in doing it in that very structured way you know it gets closer to that sort of classic uh, survival horror feel uh, of being chased by this antagonistic force um, whereas say Capcom or Resident Evil 3 Remake for instance sort of missed the point a bit of what made uh, Nemesis work so well you know, it, it, as much as it was scripted in that in the original version, it still felt unpredictable because of the way everything else went on around it. You know, he, it didn't matter if you were in the middle of an action scene, he would appear, he would do this that stuff, he would show up. And while it had a little bit in the remake at the beginning, it soon just became a case, oh, you know he's going to show up now because, yeah, it, it just it makes sense. And it, it, it stopped being oh shit, oh shit, oh shit, and just started being, here he is, looking less and less like the thing that was terrifying me. And yeah, whereas I think the more is quite well executed in that, in terms of just sort of pushing it here, there and everywhere. As you say, not overly spectacular in terms of uh, how it's executed, but it does a solid job of being you know, this surprise, if you will, you know, even though you know it will happen again at some point, you're never quite sure exactly when. Yeah, it's a really simplistic mechanic in the sections of how you have to deal with it are rather basic. It's either you're going to run away or you have to do this brief stealth section, which again yeah. feels just kind of very, just the most bare bones type thing that you could uh, throw in there. But I think it comes down to also the way in which they use both worlds again and sort of the ways the environments that you encounter the maw in make it feel somewhat different or I dare say refreshing each instance because the initial time that you uh, have to run away from it, you're in the spirit world and you're running through this very just overtly hellish world, these creepy like skin walls again and all of these things. And then the next time you encounter it in the material world, it's invisible yeah. and you have to go by uh, sound and you can see kind of like the ripples in the water from when it stomps by you and sort of the pattern, uh, the stealth route pattern that it takes. But also one of the instances that I think is probably the most creative is when it chases you through the woods. And this is when Marianne is having one of her aura fits, if you will, where yeah. it's the world is changing between the material and the spirit world at random mm -hmm. periodically. And so while the player is running, it's changing between this very normal looking Polish wilderness and then the hell world and the ways in which they do that. It makes that instance very much so this sort of highlight of the game for me in a way that's very tense, very unpredictable. 
and yet it's a repeat of the same mechanics from the first time yeah. you had to run away from it in the spirit realm. And that's an element that I think, again, completely simplistic, but at the same, and it's a repeat of an experience you had earlier on the base level. And yet they're able to make it feel fresh and new and exciting in a way that it feels different from the previous experience. And that's something that I think shows Bluebird teams sort of just strength and growth as a developer that they could have given us four or five kind of like shitty little repeat moments where it's like, yeah, you're running but from the maw again. But in the few instances that you actually have to run from it, each instance is made to feel refreshing in a way based off of the last experience with it, which I really appreciate considering, again, there's no real instance where I find that they are, other than maybe one or two of the types of puzzles, where they are sort of repeating what is supposed to be a pivotal experience or a milestone experience, which I appreciate, even if it's only a seven-hour experience at best, or eight hours. Yeah, no, it is. In keeping things simple and maybe not you know, really dazzling with, with uh, what they do, the, you know, the benefit of that ends up being that you know, they can sort of keep it interesting you know, as it goes along. And as you point that section out in the woods, uh, the flip in between, yeah, that really was a great use of everything we had to that point in terms of sort of the flipping between the worlds, the, the more itself. And yeah, in terms of like pure horror, uh, that was probably the best pure horror moment in, in the entire game. You know, it is just felt like the game maybe that people might have expected more. And I could see, obviously, if that is that is the game, you then are disappointed it isn't, and then you get that moment like that. You're like, well, more of that. Why couldn't I have more of that? And I think that's a fair criticism, you know. Uh, but um, you know, for me, I, I think that you know, knowing at that point what it was going to be, what it was going to be, I much preferred it to Blair Witch's almost ceaseless, you know, like, oh, do I really have to do this again and again and again? And, I, and you know it, it it did there it didn't really feel like they had many ideas beyond you know the obvious it was like this is you know you have to put your flashlight on this you have to do that on that and then it will go away but it's going to come back again and you never really get rid of it and it just becomes an annoyance really because you just feel like your um task is task management constantly and really not letting you be ironically you know a game that is set entirely in the woods doesn't really ever have a moment as good as that in the medium in terms of sort of because it's more structured and, and it's sparse and it just happens whereas yeah Blair Witch is just a succession of moments where yeah it might shit you up a bit if you happen to be in the right situation and circumstances but no more so than the film did yeah. <laughs> it's a you know and um, you know that's you're viewing that from the third person yourself in terms of you watching someone else but it, yeah it, I, I really was impressed by that side of it simplicity executed well I, I think it's probably the through line um, in terms of the structure of gameplay whereas the ambition comes from you know, the dual world and, and how they handle that so it's a sacrifice they have to make as an indie developer, I think, and being a small team is that maybe you just have to be simple with everything else when you're trying to sort of push other aspects of your game. 
And another content warning that Neil and I are about to cover a plot point within the medium that involves sexual violence towards a child. It's time for us to get into some of the elements of the medium story that Hmm. we take more issue with than maybe the lack of ambition in certain parts of the gameplay, but yet they have this great execution. Whereas the narrative for as ambitious as it is, and as they try to make it far more intricate, I find than any of their other games that I've played there so far in terms of the scope of the story and the world and how all the characters interconnect with one another. I still find that when we both take issue with some of their handling of certain developments between characters, their relationships and the portrayal of certain things. But I guess at this point, we should kind of just clarify for people to catch anybody up. It's this idea that Marianne's been called to the hotel by this mysterious person that has intimate knowledge of her abilities. She learns of this person named um, Thomas, who is the hotel uh, manager, and his daughter Lillianne that was there. There was also a man at the hotel named Richard who was Thomas's friend. And through certain flashbacks, we learn that Thomas has the same abilities as Marianne, yeah. this idea that he's a medium as well. And then we kind of learn when you're piecing together different backstories that an incident took place between Richard and uh, Thomas's daughter. And we essentially learn that Richard um, rapes his daughter, Lillian. Yeah. And that that event is the genesis of the Ma's creation. Um, and that she basically creates that as a manifestation of her tortured, I guess, soul, for lack of better words. Yeah, it's that- a hatred and anger and frustration born into reality, basically. Right. And so we learn about that. And then we have this instance where Thomas uses his medium abilities to essentially infiltrate Richard's mind. And then we kind of go through this segment where we're going to explore Richard's upbringing, which is a literal manifestation of his childhood home that's mm-hmm. dilapidated. And there are these sort of supernatural elements around that. And it's very much sort of this layers of fear-esque exploration of an old house. And it's essentially a haunted house that's marred in this history and this past. And that section spends a great deal of time trying to build sympathy, I found, that the Mm. game was trying to do in terms of making Richard seem sympathetic in that his father died at war, his mother had to, or his mother chose, I suppose, to remarry, and she marries this guy that is kind of this cliched bum who's an alcoholic, he's uh, abusive towards both of them and whatnot. And then that whole section kind of rubbed me the wrong way Mm. uh, in a lot of ways because... I didn't like that. I'm not opposed to exploring another character's mind and their background and things like this, but felt to me at least that they were trying to almost justify why Richard kind of became this monster. Yeah. Um, And that whole segment, I thought creatively in terms of how they portray somebody's mind and trauma and exploring that as a literal manifestation of like a house and things like that was fine. And I thought it was creative in terms of that sort of just very blanket uh, design route. Yeah. I did not like the fact that they started to craft sympathy for this character that is a rapist of children. Um, I really didn't like that. It was very uncomfortable, that entire experience, and it left a really sort of bad taste in my mouth in terms of why are we... Why are they trying to feign some semblance of sympathy for this person? Like, I don't care that he had a bad childhood. It doesn't excuse, obviously, what he did, this horrific thing that he did. Um, And that is not a sort of brief cutscene or anything. That is forcing the player 
to explore this person and explore evidence of their own trauma. Yeah. And yet I didn't understand what the takeaway was supposed to be other than the game was trying to say like, well, maybe you'll understand why he did what he did, which I thought was frankly kind of disgusting um, because it doesn't matter what his childhood was. Nothing that we learn about him is going to excuse what he did. Yeah. And herein comes the point where ambition was tried for a bit too much. Um, yeah. Whereas they played it safe and steady and let their ambition fly in the right areas with terms of like the visual style of it and, you know, the, the whole idea of having this dual world thing. From a narrative perspective, they obviously wanted to go better than they had done before. And we've had, you know, stories involving children and them being in inherent danger from father figures and whatever. But here feels like they were trying too hard. I, I honestly think that at the heart of it is just, it's a deluded opinion that they wanted to try to get across a, like, hey, you know, we're all people and this is a, a thing that people could be like. And it's like, sure, make that point if you will, but do not spend an extended period of a game trying to build empathy for someone who's done something terribly heinous and betrayed a friend's mm. trust in the process just because mm. they have some sort of grief of their own that makes them reminds them of someone they lost that makes them do something like that well, that still doesn't make a lick of sense to me and so yeah sure maybe that is the mindset of people that might some people that might do that sort of thing and it is a disease of their mind but still that you need to be very, very, very clever writers to, to then, you know, to get human beings in general to under to even come close to getting that right. And, and yeah, it, they, it's a swing and a miss in, in a huge, huge way. And it, like yeah. I said, it really does sour the game a bit at that point because it's like mm. you, you could have forgiven it, not forgiven it even maybe, but you could have sort of had a bit of a footnote if, if it had been a short thing of like oh well he did this and then this is what happened and blah 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 but like I said because they go so long in trying to sort of go show you his background it's like in making you experience his life like, it's just nah nah we, we, we don't want to go there yeah, I think that in itself was just an ugly ugly thing to have in there and it made me very angry with it and it's, it's a shame you know because I get it Blue was you know trying to do something different trying to be daring in turn, you know because there's stories about grief and the, the things that happen with grief and trauma but yeah th that didn't need to be there and uh, you know it, it's it is what it is I suppose you can't say anything about it now it, it's happened beyond that you, I think just all you can do is point out that it is a bad idea to, to take that route if you're not going to have you know the right approach and even then I would say maybe not you know yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah uh, you know, I, I don't know the background of anyone working at Bluebird to say that they had no right to be telling that kind of story um, um, from a survivor angle or anything but um, at the same time nah you know just, just maybe no don't do it what I did not appreciate was being forced into a gameplay role of saying you have to participate in this. It's worth, yeah. again, it wouldn't be 
much better if it had just been a brief cutscene that sort of details these things. That would not have been... Or an optional thing that you didn't even have to do. But it, it becomes an integral part of the story. Yeah, I mean, as, as you point out, it is the very reason of it, the much of the game being, you know, the whole hit hotel situation, the more everything is all because of this guy. And yet, to put you through it, I get the idea of putting you through the eyes of a bad guy and making you see why, oh, maybe why he's not such a bad guy and the whole anti-hero side of things and, you know, ick to the idea of that, you know, that yeah. they could be any kind of... But, yeah, it, it's... I, I'm going to be kind enough to say that it, it's just misguided and a bit deluded that they thought they could put it off. And hopefully they learn from that in the future, but... I also don't like the notion that that entire segment is bookended on in the spirit realm. Marianne encounters the monster version of Richard, right? Mm -hmm. We see that he is he is literally a monster in the spirit world along with being a monster in the material world. I also don't like the notion that he is freed Yeah. in that instance, right? She uses her powers to allow him to pass on, which he begs her to do to end his suffering. Again, I, I don't like that. And I guess that that maybe is... Again, I hesitate to say it's handled any better, but it's in a cutscene. At least I didn't wasn't placed on yeah. the burden was not on my shoulders. Where do I free him or do I not? Whereas somebody like me, I would want him to spend the rest of eternity just burning in whatever hell yeah, world you, he's in. It's like you're here for a reason. You know, it's, yeah. you've done this, right. you know, reprehensible act. The notion of being freed, again, it it sour. It leaves a distinct sourness on my experience with this game that tarnished the second act of the game or second half of the game for me no i've seen i've seen many people have you know, very rightly outraged by it and that includes people that clearly had been afflicted by such you know, things in life and i think just because of the console ended up on and the type of game it is that mm. the audience in general wasn't going to uh, really delve into that uh, as much as, as they should have you know it's <sighs> Yeah, it, it, it's. I hate. It even has to be a thing we have to even talk about. But you know, they they put it there. They made it very yeah. deliberate and made it an integral part of the story. And I, like I said, I understand in a way where they are trying to go with it, and they are trying to say you know, trauma, trauma, trauma. This is someone with trauma dealing with another trauma and empathizing with that other person's trauma because of their own. And letting that be the overruling factor to why she allows him to pass on, but that's not the player, you know. That, that's the character. And yes, you are experiencing that character's story. But the beauty of video games is, you are that character. You are enforcing and informing their decisions in most cases. Um, in a movie, it's different because you're not, you, you are viewing that, uh, you know, as a spectator. You are there having that experience go well you know I wouldn't have done that but you know that's that person and I get that and that's where I can understand it works in a in a, a film sense and even then you, it would be divisive and, and I get that, that that would be the point here no because player agency means that that cannot work and it just and it doesn't it simply does not perfectly said and I think we should probably delve into the uh, the finale of the game which I don't think is nearly as uh, blemish-inducing upon the entire game as that no. section that we just described. But 
I still have some reservations about it. And so, of course, the big reveal is, is that Marianne's father is Thomas and that sadness, the spirit that she's been interacting with throughout the game, is actually the spirit of her sister, Lillian. Yeah. Um, and so it comes down to the point where we learn about Lillian, what happened to her, the trauma, the maw, her connection to it. And then Lillian hands, very uh, literally hands Marianne a gun and says that you have to kill me so that way the maw will not be, will go away basically. Yeah. The maw cannot exist if it's uh, essentially like host yeah. is dead. And then Marianne introduces this idea where, whereas, well, no, I can kill myself and then it'll be trapped here forever, sparing her sister's life and whatnot. And then the game has its one big ambiguous moment where the screen goes blank and then you hear a gunshot. Obviously, someone has been killed, and yet we don't know who. We don't know if Marianne killed herself. We don't know if Marianne killed Lillian. And I'm curious how you find that, because for me, with something that is so cohesive throughout a majority of the game and seems so direct in the type of story it wants to tell, I don't necessarily know that I was as much a fan of an ambiguous ending for this as I would have been something like a film. But I'm curious, how did you feel about it? Yeah, as you say, at that point, other things had kind of soured. You know, the the uh, sort of finishing the story now, and but going through it, wanting to see where it went from there. Some of it kind of makes you a little bit more angry because it's like you know, now it makes even less sense. Now it's like, well, just why? You know, and yeah, the ambiguity of the ending, fine. And I, I get it. You want to leave it. I mean, they do have a post-credit scene, don't they? But, um, yeah. Which is where a man's wandering in the spirit world and picks up a pocket watch that belongs to um, Thomas. But um, yeah, I, I suppose in that sense, why not? I, I mean, but in a game that is all about um, grief, handling grief, and sort of getting through it and having your moment, you know, where you sort of get through it and to have again this the going back to that section of the game to have closure for someone as reprehensible as Richard and then not have an ending that has closure feels frustrating to, to say the least you know it's like it's fine as an ending and it would work had that section again not been there to allow that for a character that didn't deserve it you know or if they or if they were to have closure it shouldn't have been that you know that was yeah i'm not somebody that ever has an issue with ambiguity so long as it so long as the experience whether it be film or a game mm. it provides you with enough sort of i guess yeah closure with a character right so that way it could go either way but yeah that was my main issue is that we gave this scumbag piece of shit reprehensible character closure and yet the people that we actually are invested in and care about and have come to know as being people that are uh, these sort of the vestiges of good in this scenario in this world and things it's this idea that their fate is left ambiguous is like what the fuck why yeah. do why do we have to know so much about this other guy's fate and in terms of Richard's fate for him it's a positive he got what he wanted yeah he did this heinous act and then he was in this torment and then he begged for freedom and he was given it. And it's like, yeah. I, I just ended the game in a way that made me incredibly angry in a way that 
uh, a lot of games have never games in general have never left me in a way where it's not that I don't know the fate of these characters. It's in contrast to the fates that I'm aware of against theirs. It's like, yeah, yeah, if we didn't have that section that was such a blemish on the experience, I have no problem with the ambiguity. But in contrast of those two things, it's like, what the fuck? How yeah. could you end it on this note? And I suppose if we're going to give Bloober team mm-hmm. a little bit of benefit of the doubt with that post credit scene, we will be getting the medium too, I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Which now, again, giving them a little bit of benefit of the doubt, they sure as hell better deliver in terms of picking up where the first game left off and having some semblance of closure in that game or picking up the pieces in a way that feels like we're heading in a direction where we might get some closure with these characters. Yeah. And to sort of just go on to that one more time, I think the whole thing could have been elevated a lot more in two ways here. Um, if the story has maybe been different, that the reprehensible, horrible thing that happens is that Thomas is the one that ended up forgiving Richard and you know, absolving his soul. That would have been terrible then to have the revelations of everything else and who they are and them having to sort of decide whose trauma ends now. You know, will it be Lily's? Will it be Marianne's? You know, one of them will have to suffer regardless. And that would have been a smarter way of doing the whole thing. Again, it would have been very divisive, but divisive. But no, it, it unfortunately that's not the way it went. Um, like I said, it's done. They made it. Learn a lesson, hopefully, and go from there. There's there's a lot about the medium to like. There's a lot that's interesting. A lot that they've built on as a company. But yeah, they, they uh, flew a little too close to the. Uh, controversy son in terms of trying to do something a bit edgy and it not really paying off which I think is a shame because otherwise I view the medium as a whole as with that one part um, withstanding Mm. I find this to be such a positive direction for the growth of Bloober team and where they're headed in the future with the realm of horror and whatnot should they choose to stay with it which I think by all accounts they more than likely will just in terms of their ability to tell a bigger story, have a more intricate story that ties in multiple characters. Again, it's not this sort of singular narrative. You're not in the shoes of this one person. It's or in the first person perspective, at least, which tends to be more internal rather than seeing how the world around you reacts and how all these different relationships uh, spawn and whatnot. It, for me, at least with the medium, it seems like this is a direction that their talents are growing in a positive direction yeah. overall in terms of the types of horror experiences they want to tell. And it's a shame that we've had to talk about the blemish for as much as we have, but at the same time, with their growth, they need to reel in maybe a little bit of that ambition. Again, the, the uh, ambition behind the sort of direction and of uh, the medium in terms of the dual worlds and whatnot and having the restraint to know, hey, we're going to hold off on this until the technology of these consoles catches up so we can make one hell of a game yeah. that sells this idea in a way that is not so gimm- so janky that it becomes a gimmick that is just something that you could slap on the box. Yeah. And that- At the same time, have a little bit more restraint in terms of the narrative swings you're going to make if 
at the end of the day, you might not have the sort of experience to pull something off that could potentially be as controversial and damning if you don't get it 100%. Because, I don't know, stuff like that, which they tried to tackle, I would be so hesitant to even approach that Mm. unless I was certain we were able to get that 100%. And I'm not even saying that that is an angle you can take and do it uh, in a way that wouldn't be offensive or controversial. But if you're going to even approach it, you better make sure that you know how to do it in a way that it is going to feel like it is justified or that you can do it in a way that it doesn't sort of play this who's in the right, who's in the wrong type thing, yeah. which I think is very, very uncomfortable to even like to have to bring it up is not something that I would like to dwell on for much longer because you would hope that people, if they were going to approach that, it would be done so in a way where you don't have this sort of like, well, we're going to get resolution on some of these characters, but not on the others. Yeah. And, you know, that comes back to what I was saying before. If you're going to do it, understand the medium you're working in. Games rely on the player being involved in a way that film and TV and books don't. And you have to think like that when you're coming up with story-based things that you are not. And it's, you know, this is not the only company that's ever made that mistake. There are so many, you know, 100%. that have made similar mistakes. And, you know, but it's because of the subject matter and the resolution of it that, that it makes it worse. And yeah, so I think, like I said before, I think that is the main problem here is a misunderstanding of what you can do in this medium compared to another medium. And because uh, I think if you, it could still be done, just not like that. But uh, yeah, I look forward to uh, the next time we're able to talk about the next development in uh, Bloober Team's continued sort of stake in psychological horror. But uh, Neil, as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.